0: You'll meet some people in the world who thrive on speculation and for such, the current coronavirus pandemic is grist for the mill. They're having a field day with this. Where has it come from? Who lies behind it? Why have they done it? What are they hoping to achieve? Because there simply has to be something lying behind it. Because if there isn't, they'll have nothing about which to speculate, and that will never do. You never find Jesus engaging in speculation and wild theories. You never find the apostles engaging in them either. Never. Getting caught up in speculation has no place really in the mind of a Christian. As a Christian, you are to concentrate on known truth, that truth which God has revealed, the truth which the Bible has clearly given you to know. The teachings of Christ and his apostles are clear when it comes to the crucial truths regarding the faith of the gospel, clear, really clear and we're really not to worry about those things which are not ours to know. As a Christian, you should content yourself with Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The speculators of this world would disagree with that statement. No, these things must be found out, and I intend to find out, and I'm going to show you. Really? What arrogant, fruitless conjecture men come up with, supposing that they can know those things which are the realm of God alone. And at verse 36 of Romans 11, we find a verse from which I want to establish and develop my first point this morning. We read this For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Here's my first point for this morning, and it's a really significant one. The absolute dominion of Christ over all things. How many things in this world are of God, and through God, and to God? The Bible says all of them. What kinds of things are of God and through God and to God. All of them. You may wish to go back and review that little sermon series that I preached on the providence of God that was back in November and December of last year where we saw that God rules in sovereign power over all things. And at this time of global pandemic, it's a good thing to remind ourselves of that once more. There are no schemes or plans of men which lie outside of God's control and power. Nor is there any part of nature which is simply doing its own thing. Not even a virus. And it's not, it's not enough to suggest that God permits it No, the Bible says he is over it all and in it all. When Satan came to God to see if he could tempt Job away from his belief and faith in God by stripping him of all of his wealth and riches and all of the comforts and blessings that God had given him, When Satan came to God to seek to do that, God didn't simply permit Satan to do whatever he wanted to. And whatever Satan devised lay completely beyond and outside of God's control. That wasn't how it was at all. No, God set the boundaries within which Satan could operate. And Satan could never have hoped... To step outside of those limitations which God had placed upon him. And whilst Satan thought that he was doing all of those things to Job for his purposes. It was actually God who was over the whole situation for his purposes. It's vital that you understand that distinction. We've just had a a perfect example of this, actually, in the Easter story that we were remembering last weekend. Several weeks after that event, the Apostle Peter would explain what had happened over that that Easter weekend, like this in Acts chapter 2. He says to an assembled crowd in Jerusalem, you took Christ by lawless hands and crucified him and put him to death. Here was a scheme devised by wicked men who supposed that it was they who were in charge of all of the events that were unfolding, and that by doing so, they could keep their control and influence over all of the people for their own ends. That's exactly the kind of scenario that many of today's speculators obsess over. Whether it be done secretly or openly, these are all schemes of men designed to control us and manipulate us for their own ends. That way of thinking is as old as old can be. But I've just quoted the second half of a sentence spoken by Peter. Here's how the sentence begins. Him, says Peter, referring to Jesus, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you took by lawless hands. Your lawless deeds, sinful deeds, Deeds of great wickedness, for which God will one day judge you all. Deeds which were the culmination of some great scheme, which you thought originated entirely from yourselves. All of this was what God had determined beforehand that you would do. And it was God who delivered Christ to you. That is a great example of God's sovereignty at work in his world. Of him, through him, to him are all things which must include the coronavirus. To deny that is to deny the Bible. But if you believe it, already your fears and anxieties are beginning to subside because God is over it all. As old Eli the priest testified, when God, through young Samuel, uh, told him that he would bring judgment upon his house, because of the sins of his sons and because Eli had failed to restrain them or correct them. When that news came to Eli, but which he knew meant that his sons would die. What did Eli say? It's a very striking thing that Eli said. It is the Lord. Let him do What seems good to him. It is the Lord's doing. And that's enough, you see. That's all the Christian needs. That's all the Christian needs to know. That God is doing that which seems good to him. Right there is a real test of faith in the living God. Whatever God has chosen to do, you can find a place of rest for your soul in the knowledge that because it is God who has done it, it is right, it is good, and it is just. It cannot be otherwise. This complete and total dominion which God exerts over his creation is fully demonstrated in the account which we read earlier from Matthew chapter 14. As we find the disciples out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in their boat, the wind is against them and the waves are big and strong. And it's making for a dangerous and unpleasant and slow crossing. And in a very matter-of-fact way, Matthew tells us that Jesus simply walked out to them on the water as if it was dry land and is even able to empower Peter to get up out of the boat and walk out towards him. There is nothing in his creation that has escaped Christ's authority and all of creation serves him But having said that, this truth perhaps seems a little like a double-edged sword on the one hand for the Christian. Here is a word of great encouragement in knowing that the God whom we love and serve is over all of these circumstances in which we find ourselves. But that leaves us having to contemplate that in times such as we're in today, When, as an epidemic is sweeping through the nations, God, in some way, is involved in the misery and the death that is being suffered by so many. How do we defend or explain that to unbelievers who almost certainly will ask the question, why? Well, in some ways, when you're talking to an unbeliever about these things, you can't defend or explain it, at least not to their satisfaction. And there's a very simple reason why that's the case. For those who do not have the eyes to see, we shouldn't be surprised when they can't. Jesus told parables which at the same time enlightened believers but confounded unbelievers. Now regards those who are in unbelief and struggle with these things I'll come back to them a little bit later. For now let's continue thinking about it from the perspective of a Christian believer. For Christians what something like coronavirus does is force home what we read earlier. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counsellor? One of the things which brings assurance to the heart and mind of the Christian, is that at times such as this, you can still find yourself saying with full assurance of faith, it is of him and through him and to him, because all things are. It is the Lord Let him do what seems good to him. And though Satan should buffet and trials should come, it is well, it is well with my soul. And there are two other things which stand out from this story which are really important for us to see and understand. We see, secondly, that Christ causes his disciples to go through trials. In Matthew 14, the disciples get into the boat and begin to head out across the lake at verse 22. Then, after that, Jesus sends away the crowds. Then he walks up a mountain. Then it becomes evening. So it's very fair to assume that a good number of hours have now passed and we find that the boat has only reached the middle of the lake because the conditions are so rough out there. But it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night, that's Sometime after three in the morning that Jesus finally walked out to them. Perhaps just as it was beginning to get light. It's often in the trials, it's often in the middle of the stormy weather when we learn and grow the most. Indeed, it sometimes takes the trials To make us learn and grow. And without them we would be weaker and poorer in faith. And the fact is that God actively leads us through trials in order that we might grow. And in order that our faith might be tried and tested and purified. And that it might be a cause of witness and testimony. Don't ever pray to God when you find yourself in a trial. Don't ever pray to him as if he's three steps behind and needs to play catch-up. He's way ahead of the game. Seek his face that his will might be done as he does that which seems good to him to do. Seek his face, that his purposes in all of this might be accomplished, especially in and through you. And there are three particular realities here in this story. Um, as we think about going through trials um, that are really a, they are, these are a source of great comfort to those who belong to Christ. The first is to see that Jesus knows precisely where they are exactly what they're facing, and he comes to them in the midst of it. They're not lost. Nothing is misunderstood or unseen as far as Christ is concerned. And they most definitely are not abandoned, even although for a while he has left them alone. Christ did exactly the same for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace in Babylon when with them we are told in the flames stood a fourth man who looked like the son of God there's a reason why that fourth man looked like the son of God I hope you've worked that one out Secondly, you'll see that for the disciples, there's no instant relief. There's no immediate rescue. For several hours at least, they were left to battle against the elements in their boat. Think about Martha and Mary. It was for four days that they were left grieving over the loss of their brother Lazarus before their friend Jesus eventually arrived but you see 4 days was probably just about the right length of time for Jesus to arrive and the people be completely convinced that this well, this is just cruel to turn up now this is an insult ...to these two sisters. What can you possibly do for them now, Jesus? What do you have to offer them now? What hope or comfort can you give them now? It's been four days. The lack of an instant response... ...will sometimes be... ...so that just when it seems... That there's nothing that even God can do. That even God couldn't turn this one around now. Then it is that God moves. Then it is that he demonstrates that it can only be him that is at work. It can only be his doing. And then it is that he is glorified and people see him for who he is. Someone once said, God sometimes takes you right to the end of your tether because it's only by taking you there that you'll realise that God has the end of it firmly held in his almighty hand. And our tethers are all of different lengths. But at the end of them, God is there. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counsellor? And thirdly, as we consider the fact that Jesus actively takes the disciples through trials and storms, thirdly, you must see that the wind which was causing all of those crashing waves as the disciples sought to cross the lake, all of that was under Christ's direct control at every point. Why was it... ...that the boat was not swamped during those long, dark hours through the night. The boat was never swamped because that was never Christ's intention. And so the wind and the waves were restrained and kept from swamping the boat. Where is the proof of this? Well, actually, it's in verse 32... Because there it's made clear to us that the moment that Jesus and Peter stepped into the boat and were clear of the water, the wind ceased. The trial is over. The purpose for it is fulfilled. The lesson is learned. Truly, you are the Son of God. This whole experience had its reasons. This is a a theme frequently picked up by the apostles in their teaching. It's one which I mentioned in the first of these YouTube uh, sermons which I preached four weeks ago now. In all of the challenges and afflictions that God brings along your path, He has in mind for you stronger faith, deeper joy, a more fervent love, increased thanks and praise. And further along the path, those things will become evident in you. Because you've learned and you've grown in the midst of the trial. And finally, what we also see in this story is that in the midst of the storm, look to Christ. Peter does it twice. The first time, he's full of optimistic faith as he steps out of the boat. The second time, it's a cry of desperation as he's convinced he's about to drown. Here's the lesson you learn from Peter both in the boat. And in the water, he looked to Christ. When feeling confident, when fearing death, he looked to Christ. And here's the very significant lesson you learn about Christ. On both occasions, he listens, he hears, and he responds in Peter's favor. When you can see, And acknowledge in your heart that only Christ can help you. And you look to him. This God of all compassion and grace stands ready to love and to help and to save. Whether full of faith or filled with dread, Christ is there. And he preserves Peter. And he'll do so for you. We read this in Psalm 94 If I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O oh Lord, will hold me up. Now that's the situation for the Christian to get this great sense of assurance that all of these things are of God. But what about that question which I left hanging earlier? When something like this virus strikes, and we declare that the good and sovereign God is over all of this, and yet, for many, it is resulting in untold grief and sorrow, how can you defend and explain this to an unbeliever? Well, first of all, you have to remember as a Christian, you have experienced those things which we've been learning from Psalm 19 on Wednesday evenings. For you as a Christian, the perfect law of the Lord has converted your soul. The sure testimony of the Lord has given you wisdom. The pure commandment of the Lord has enlightened your eyes. And so on account of that, when you read those words we've been thinking about, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments really are, the fact that we cannot find out his ways, that we cannot possibly know the mind of the Lord. When you, as a born-again child of God, read those things you know in your soul that these things are so and that god is still unbelievably good even when awful things are happening around us but your unconverted friend doesn't because in their unconverted state they can't they can't see they can't understand They can't know. How does this story help? Well, you point them to Peter in the water with Christ right in front of him. Peter is sinking fast. And Christ is right in front of him. It doesn't make any sense, and he's scared for his life. And Christ is right in front of him. Why would the Lord bring Peter into the middle of this lake in conditions such as these, and persuade him to get out of the boat, only for him to be faced with death. Why would God bring coronavirus into the world at a time like this and bring upon us conditions like these and bring us face to face with death and suffering? Well, perhaps for Peter and for you, and for your unbelieving friends and for countless others perhaps it is only by bringing you into the midst of the storm that god has been able to bring you face to face with christ often it's only in the midst of the storm that that people will see the the one Who alone is able to help them? And that one is Christ. And now, in the midst of the storm, they see. And so they cry out to him from the depth of their soul Lord, save me! And he will. And it's because of the storm that they will fall down before him and worship him. It's because of the storm that their testimony can become truly this Jesus is the Son of God for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen.